find the baller. My life is more than money and jewelry. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from playing sports to exotic whips. Ain't gotta tell me, dog. I know I'm the shit behind the baller. My life is more than money and jewelry. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from music exec to this podcast. Now I finally feel at home and laugh behind the baller. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? And welcome to another brand new episode of the world famous, the award-winning Behind the Baller podcast. Yes, indeed, this is coming to you in high Doge Phoenician stereo sound. This is a Dust Brothers production. I am your host, Ben Baller, not Ben Humble, also known as the Korean John Cusack, the Korean Liam Neeson, the Washed Lord, Mr. Bad Back, and always and forever, I will be the Forrest Gump of hip-hop. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Monday. I am currently not in the country. I am currently not live and direct in the man cave. Your boy is in Mexico somewhere. I I can't pinpoint location because I pre-recorded this intro. But it's all love. It's all good. You want to know why? Because today we're going to learn how to make some money. Today, if you have a little bit of money, this is the reward. If you had any questions about how to get into real estate, how to buy a home, certain things like that, and you don't just want to walk into a random bank and talk to some dude at a desk, look, we got all the game here today. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, there will be no outro today. When we say goodbye, we say goodbye. You're going to hear some Lakey Lake music. And by the way, we do have new Lakey beats again. Thank you to my boy, Lakey Inspired. Actually, he's just at Lakey, by the way, now. But his, his Instagram name is Lakey Inspired. Um, so yeah, your boy is out in Mexico. We got Thatch Nguyen doing real estate 101. He's given all the game, all kinds of game. The only thing I can say is I hope you guys watched the masters fucking unbelievable. I recorded this on Saturday night, so I don't know who won yet. I guess we'll have to discuss that next week, but it's crazy. Never thought I'd be watching golf. And now it's the most fucking exciting thing to watch. Another thing too is Tony Hawk documentary fucking fire incredible one of the very few people that you could think about this dude's older than me still skating like fucking better than kids that are younger than his kids crazy so anyways i love you guys thank you so much for all the support and um we should be back on the same bat channel next monday i'm hoping uh i had a really rough week last week and um i'm you know we're, we're going through some shit you know, so um, I want to give you guys transparency and let you know that the washed Lord is definitely feeling extra washed. You know what I mean? But it's all love. Please, please, please leave a review on our Apple podcast page and let us know what you think about this latest episode with Thatch Nguyen. All right, guys. Miles is actually out of town, too. So Jordan Winter of the Dust Brothers is taking over the realms. All right, guys. Love you. Uh, let's get into this Thatch Nguyen interview. Yo, yo, what up, y'all? Another brand new episode of the uh, world famous BTB. I am currently away out at sea in the ocean. Don't worry about where the fuck I'm at. You'll know where I'm at when I tell you guys where I'm at. But meanwhile, got this special interview with my dog Thatch. Um, you know, you've heard about him before. He's a, he's a real estate guru, but really he's an entrepreneurial guru. He's, of course, focuses on real estate, but, uh, you know, he's a father. He's, he's a businessman. He's a, a local Seattle 
um, legend. And since we've been talking about interest rates, um, investments, and things like that, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, you know, I've done a lot of things. I've made way more money on crypto than I have on anything else in my life. That doesn't mean that that's the long-term run. You know what I'm saying? It's just not, that's not how things go. So I wanted to bring a professional on here. Now, we're going to get different opinions. I have Thatch coming on now. Um, I got a couple other people who are in real estate. And I even have a female who's actually really going to real estate as well. And, you know, it's, it's a different game. I think Thatch understands the full service sound around what's going on. So let's bring in my boy Thatch, man. What's good, dog? What up, what up, everybody? What up, baby? <laughs> what's good, Mr. <laughs> Air Fox One? <laughs> oh man, you know, we just try to we just try to understand this market, man, and just try to ride through it, you know. And uh, the good thing for me, man, I've been through this market four times already, you know. So um you oh, know, uh, I, I'm not even tripping. You went through the recession and and the fucking uh what was it called again? The um that we went through the 2008 crash, you know, what, in what, the what, middle was, of it. what was that movie called? The crash when the crash happened, remember like um the bubble. Uh, Remember what the fuck was it called? Oh man, the big, not the big shorts, right? The big um, short, the big short, big short, big shorts. Big short. Yeah, big shorts. So you went through. Yeah. you went through the real estate. You remember back like in two thousand, where you could just fucking you could say, "Oh, my name is fucking Michael Jackson." Boom, you're gonna get a loan. You remember those days? Yeah. Oh yeah, bro. I mean, again, you know, this, you know, we had these kind of cycle like four times. You know, the two thousand eight was, you know, was always the biggest one, right? So to me, you know, going through what I'm going through now, it's this is a walk in the park compared to two thousand eight. Yeah, come on, bro. Jesus Christ, dog. I mean, like, yeah. And think about even in two thousand eight, right now. Um, I mean, my credit's excellent and everything, right? But I'm talking about trying to buy a home from two thousand nine to two thousand like thirteen. Right. I mean, bro, it might have been easier to get into a fucking to the FBI. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, get yeah. a fucking Department of Justice involved. This shit is crazy, right? Like. They're yeah. asking you about fucking, I was like, what the fuck does a lawsuit got to do with, like, why are you asking about lawsuits? They want to know everything, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. But, yeah. you know, last time I had you on the show, we talked about, you know, we got you on, there's more referral service. I didn't want to pinpoint one area. Right. The thing is, this show was about real estate today, so I wanted to get in there. You know, we didn't get to scratch the surface, really, about the actual thing you specialize in. You know, the one yes. you make your TikTok videos, all that shit. So I was like, yeah. look, why not get you on first? I got one of my boys told you, I think he does, well, can't say all the time, but he's done a billion dollars in real estate sales, residential, not commercial, a billion dollars. He's done it three years in the last 10 years, dude. Nice. And you went to high school together. He's one of the big, he's the biggest bro. Like, honestly, every time I see listings, once in a while, I'll see like a 14, 20, everything's like 40 to 200 million, every single listing. Mm. It's nuts. So- Let's start off real quick, man. The first question is an easy question. It's something I get asked by my followers a lot. What type of home do you recommend for a first-time home buyer? You know? First-time home buyer. Yeah. Well, I would say, depending on someone's obviously income, right? But typically, most first-time home buyer, they just want to get out of their rental house, their apartments, and they just want to buy something, right? If they're a single person, sometimes they buy, you know, condominiums, depending on where they live, right? If they're a single person, you know, like in Seattle, they buy townhouses. Um, if they're a couple, a husband, right? They don't buy condos in Seattle. They go right into, uh, you know, townhouses or houses. But most of the time, they just buy entry, you know what I mean? Like in Seattle, entry level, you know, houses, townhouses, anywhere between probably 700 to maybe 800, 900,000. 
uh, and they just get it stabilized. And then later on when they have kids is when they actually move into their next phase of their idea of family home, you know what I mean? Um, and that's funny, you know, and then they upgrade again to, you know, a nicer family home. And then when the kids graduate, of course, they downside and they sell all their big ass houses and they get into a small condo again, you know? So I'll say for first time home buyer, I will say buy something that, you know what I mean? That you're comfortable, it's nice. Uh, and then, you know, you can upgrade later. And I always tell people that's not your end destination anyways. It's just a beginning. So you can just really figure out what do you want next? And then also, you know, when you start having kids and you have family, then you know exactly what you need to go next. Um, because a lot of times people buy something, you know, I know you and I know, you know, people like Jonas, when he bought his first house, right? It was pretty nice. And then all of a sudden the second house was crazy nice. But, you know, sometimes some of those houses he was buying wasn't kid friendly. Yeah. Right. I mean, bro, the first place was just, you know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad for a little condo. You know what I'm saying? It was cool. It was probably, I mean, honestly, bro, it might have been like six, seven hundred grand. It was nice neighborhood, Elisa Viejo. But then yep. he jumped into a nine million dollar crib in fucking yeah. 2009. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. The craziest time to buy a house, bro. Like the worst yeah. time, this motherfucker, you know. Um, you, you mentioned something good. You said sometimes they buy a condo, right? Yeah. My brother-in-law is actually a real estate agent, right? And he's told me, he goes, hey, man, Ben, don't ever buy a condo, man. Especially don't ever buy a one-bedroom condo because the resale on one-bedroom condo isn't really good because people want to start a family, you know, have, you know, this, this, and this. And, bro, I bought my first condo, well, one-bedroom condo in where? <laughs> fucking Seattle, right? I was living right. at a one-bedroom fucking, right. you know, 900-square-foot condo in Escala in downtown Seattle. I'm like, thank God I was actually able to flip it but in general, do you think, what's your thoughts on that? Like, you know, is a condo a good investment, you think? Or is that true? You think one-bedroom condo's not really smart, you know, because, you know, you got to think about a couple or a family or something? Yeah. I mean, if I had to prioritize, you know, house is the first best for, obviously, this, you know, you, you all got to look at it as which category have the biggest pool? House has the biggest pool. And then the next biggest pool for housing is townhouses, right? And then, of course, the next biggest pool will be uh, condos, right? And then, of course, when you take a look at condos, right, the biggest pool is a two-bedroom or three-bedroom. The smallest pool of a condo is a one-bedroom, right? So, yeah, so technically when you're buying a condo, you are at the, the smallest pool you can deal with because the biggest thing is, you know, you buy a one-bedroom condo, you're always going to sell it to a one-bedroom, you know, a single person, maybe a couple, young couple. So your pool is very small. But the biggest reason why, because if you ever turn into a rental, the price is so high, you can't get enough rent in a one-bedroom to cover, you know, the mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? And the last thing is condos, right, has home dues, right? Of course, when you have a one-bedroom and you got high home dues, it may be even harder for them to actually live there, right, if they do live there. But if they're going to turn into a rental, it's even harder to cash flow. The home dues doesn't go up that much more for a two-bedroom, but at least you can you know, you can have a better chance of actually renting it out if you ever want to keep it because the rent will be a lot higher, but the dues don't jump that much higher for one and a two bedroom. Okay. That's a fucking great explanation. You know, especially when you're talking about the HOA fees and stuff because people don't realize, you know what I'm saying? Like, dog. Shit, it's hell expensive, bro. I mean, look how much you was paying for yours back then, right? Well, yeah, when I lived in Ritz-Carlton, you know, my HOA fees were like, that went that bad, but they're still like $1,800, $2,000 a month. This is fucking almost 10 years ago, right? And in some places... You see HOA fees be like five G's, you know, it's like, yeah. it's fucking crazy, bro. You know, but that, that made a lot of sense, bro. When you're talking about, cause people don't realize now think, I mean, you are, you want to rent it, right? So yeah, it's going right. to be a fucking nightmare. So, you know what that means? Actually, it makes me think about something I was going to ask you 
right before this question is, so for a new couple, for a uh, someone who's doing well in life, someone who's you know just enough to save, whatever, what would be the affordability formula? Like, okay, if you wanted to buy a half million dollar house, because you know people remember we're on the West Coast, Seattle and LA is different. Think about someone who lives in Arkansas, or lives like you know in fucking, you know even like in Texas, you could buy such a big. I've seen houses for two million there. I'm like, are you joking me? It looks like a castle, you know, like it's three acres of land. You know, 11,000 square foot house, eight bedrooms. You're like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It'd be $300 million in Los Angeles. So like, what's the affordability formula? Because I don't even know myself. I just know, oh, I could afford that. Boom. How much do you have to have saved? How much do you have to make to buy a $500,000 house? Yeah. So they always say a third, right? So if you buy a house and then you take a look at your mortgage, right? If your mortgage comes out to, let's say, three grand a month, you get the ideally you want to make nine grand a month. So because a third go to your mortgage, right? Then the other other two thirds go to living, you know, expenses and all the other stuff, right? Personal stuff. But so whatever a third is. So if you buy a million dollar house, what if the mortgage payment on that is five grand, you gotta make fifteen grand a month. That's that's the formula. So hold on. But then okay, for a down payment now, what's the standard down payment, right? I, I put down, you know, anywhere between thirty and forty, right? Sometimes I put even put more. But what's I think banks need to have twenty at least, right? Well, if you're a first-home home buyer, you can put as low as 3% up to 5%, right? So again, if you put down, let's call it easy number. Let's say it's a $500,000 house. You put down 5%. Let's you're a first-home home buyer. 5% of 500000 is fifteen grand. So your loan amount is still four eighty-five. Four eighty-five. dollars let's say your monthly payment is going to be, you know, all in property tax insurance. Let's call it, you know, $3,3500. So you need to make three times you, you got to make at least nine grand or a little more to cut, to buy that house with 5% down on a $500,000 price point. That makes sense? Damn, I didn't, I didn't even know you could even do, I mean, from what I know, you know, especially on a jumbo loan, I'm thinking, you know, you got to have fucking 15, 20. Shit, that's crazy. You're saying that, you know, some banks will allow 5% and things like that. And obviously, I, you know, I'm talking about um, jumbo loans are obviously different. You know, if you're looking at a five, six million dollar house, they don't want more money down. But, yeah, you don't want way more money down. But in general, I know you're buying houses every day or every month. So are banks being tougher right now about giving loans out because of the pandemic? You know what I'm saying? For sure, bro. Yeah, like for me right now, I'm buying a lot of investment property, right? And I'm also building real estate. I'm building new construction, right? And so right now, for sure, banks are uh, more tougher. They want to see some down payment. Right now, what's interesting, bro, is this. Uh, when I take a look at what's happening out there, I see that, and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of my my banker people. Right now, we're seeing anywhere between twenty five to thirty percent of the buyer out there buying real estate, paying cash for property. And then, what's interesting is that uh, about maybe ten percent and less are buying five percent and less or zero money. The rest of them are between that twenty percent. So, as I show you how much money we have out there. But at the same time, how many people are out there putting down so much money? Literally, damn 90% of them putting down over 20% to buy houses these days. So, but the reason why, because there's a lot of money. And right now, since interest rate's gone up, they got to put more money down to, for them to qualify to keep the monthly payment to where they can afford. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think people forget that 20 years ago, if you're buying a house. When did you buy your first house? What, what year was that? 1997. Okay. In, in 2000. A fucking good interest rate on a home was like eight percent. Yeah, bro, all day. 
<laughs> that was good. Jumping for joy. Yeah. Coming out of hey, coming out of 12, 13, 14%. Yeah. And I'm like, people don't understand that. Like, dude, I think I refied my, my crib for like, like just under two six. And I'm thinking like, God damn. Because, you know, I mean, most of my homes were anywhere between four and five. And that's just what it was. Even though the credit's good or something, it just was, you know, just the way the shit is. Explain refinancing a home, you know, what's benefits between that and doing an interest only, you know, things like that. Ex- explain that to, to the people who are listening. Yeah. So, you know, the only reason why people do interest only, in my opinion, is that bottom line, they're trying to keep the monthly payment low. So interest only, they just paying the interest only on the on the loan, but the principal doesn't move. It moves very little. And they do that because they want to keep the monthly payment low so they can afford to get into a nicer house. You know what I mean? So when they buy a house, that's what they do. Refi is when someone has a property, has some good equity in it, Right. Like recently, I refinanced one of my apartment buildings. And I was at, at the time, interest rate was like 5.5%. And my building, I had probably, um, my building was appraised for like seven, about seven mil. I only owe like two mil on it. And I refied it down to like 3.2% when the interest rate went down. And with that interest rate so low, the bank gave me extra. million, right? And I still, my monthly payment was still lower than the 5.5% where my loan was $1.2 million uh, lower. So I I got, I refied it. I got extra $1.2 million out with low interest rate. And I got cash in my pocket and my payment was still lower and I still cash even better. So that's to show you when when interest rate is low, you got to take advantage of it. So that one point two million dollars tax free money, and I just took that money. And I went and bought me some more rental property with that money. <laughs> that's good, man. Shit. See, yeah, no, nah, that's beautiful. You know, let me ask you. This was on my list of questions, but like, you know, um, during the um, I don't know about how it was in Seattle and Washington, but in California, you know, like just until recently. There was no eviction law. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't evict people. So like, did you have a problem with that? Just, I'm just, I was just curious. Were people not paying rent or were they? Yeah, bro. Yeah. During this COVID, during this COVID, I had a, I have a 50 unit apartment building. And during this whole COVID, all of a sudden one tenant decided they didn't want to pay. Right now they say they lost a job and they, you know, they say they're going to work on getting the government the system. Right now we don't know if they tried or didn't try. But anyway, what happened was all of a sudden, you know, eight months go by. Next thing we knew, out of the 50 unit, we had about 12 or 13 of them that wasn't paying. Now, out of the 12, me and my, my rent's averaging 1500 bucks a unit. So you can imagine I'm leaking now easy. At 10 unit, I'm leaking 15 grand a month. That's pretty much all my positive cash flow I was making on my building. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, but some of them was getting assistant and then making, you know, some payments. But there's probably three to three or four or five of them that just purely just milk the shit, man. And finally, we got everybody, you know, that didn't pay out. We got everybody who paid some of it now up to speed now. And now we're good again. So the people always ask me on social media, am I always worrying about people not paying? The, the chance of someone not paying you on a normal, everyday uh, market, very slim. Because they know they don't pay. They got to go find somewhere else to yeah. live. yeah. And if they fuck it up, then they ain't going to get anywhere else anyway. So if you ever own rental property, I tell people, don't worry about that. Because the number one necessity that human beings always need, other than food and clothes, is shelter. Yeah. So they will not burn their bridge on shelter. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, this market is crazy right now. It's the craziest I've seen it in, uh, as far as buying. I'm sorry, like, you know, even when everything was good in 2001, 2002, 2003, whatever, before the short, um, it wasn't crazy like now where, you, you know, where every house I see is going for over list price. You know, places aren't even fucking having an open house. They get, they get sold before they get to market and then all this other crazy shit, right? When do you think, you know, real estate, at least, you know, in general on the West Coast or certain areas, actually, no, I'm sorry, it's hot everywhere. Fucking, it's crazy. Everywhere, where, everywhere. Where, when do you think it's going to balance out, man? Like, you know, can this keep going up? Can it keep going crazy? Like, when do you think it just, you know, chills out and, and, and neutralizes? If, if we would have did this podcast two months ago, I would tell you, man, we are in the midst of it. But interesting it is, in the last two months, the market actually have turned already. So let me tell you what I mean. Two months ago, the market was exactly what you described, insane, right? People paying 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, a million dollar over asking price, right? Like on Mercer Island, where I live, right? Waterfront, listed for 4 million bucks. People paying five, five and a half million for it. You know what I mean? Uh, regular home out there listed for seven. People paying 800 grand for it, you know? So that was what I call insane market. And since the interest rate has gone up now from, what, 3, 3% now up to 5%, now what I see now, just because I'm still in real estate, we still getting multiple offer, but we're not getting as many multiple offer two months ago. We're getting people paying over, but they're not paying crazy over. Like I just listed six brand new construction in Seattle. And if this was two months ago, I would have got probably 50, 100 grand over asking price. And what's crazy is out of the six, five out of six sold in the last one week, but we only got uh, maybe um, 25 to 50 grand over. And that's that's not normal. And we see that. Buyer now are basically hesitating a little bit on the fence and we're not getting as many multiple offer. And since we're not getting as many multiple offer, we're not getting as many um, high bid and price over because of interest rate. So we're beginning to turn to getting more stabilized, which I think is fine. See where I came from, better for me. like man. what you and I talked about, 8%, right? I came, when I started real estate in 91, it was like damn 10, 11, 12%. Yeah. So a 5%, Man, it's a smoking deal still, right? <laughs> of course. So to me right now, I think that we need an adjustment. And I think the government is raising interest rate, and I think it's fine. I think the whole game is just, you know, how fast do they keep raising interest rate? They got to try to play and balance out because they raise it too fast, and everybody's going to stop buying, and we're going to go into another downspin, right? Yeah. But we do need to slow it down because it's not sustainable. But you take a look at what's happening in real estate just across America, in some area, I don't know, in California, in my area in Seattle, right? Man, this area where they're getting 20 plus percent appreciation in one year. Yeah. I mean, that's unheard of. The normal market appreciation, three to seven percent. No, for sure. That's come on, bro. I bought my crib seat. It'd be why am I drawing a blank right now? I feel like, was it 18 or 19? I can't fucking remember. Uh, for argument's sake, I think it was th this summer would be four years. Okay. In four years, my crib has gone up $2.5 million, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. legit, legit. You know how fucking nuts that is? That's crazy, bro. Yeah. It's That's just... crazy. Yeah. You think about it. I mean, when average is, let's call it three to seven, let's call it even five, five a year. We do it 20 a year. Yeah. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, who, how, who, who can buy? Only the rich of the rich can buy. The regular people, they can't buy. 
right? They can't buy no more. Even the old and the rich, you know what I mean? I mean, bro, I, I read this article in like 1950s. You could work at McDonald's and afford to buy a home back then. So it's fucked up, you know? Um, I saw a video you posted and you were talking about something where it was a mistake, whatever, boom. I forgot what the message behind it was. It was a mistake, but you talked about you got it in December and something happened. I was like, wait a second, months. What the fuck does months matter? Are there better months of the year to buy a house or bad? Like, is there a bad time to buy? Is, are there seasons for real estate? Absolutely, bro. If you're, all, if you're going to buy, you want to buy in December, January, February, maybe March. If you're going to sell, you want to sell April, May, June, July, August. Oh, shit. So the good weather months are pretty much, yeah. So that's, okay, that makes sense. What's the biggest misconception about real estate, like being in real estate? Everybody make money. <laughs> There's more people that lose money in real estate investing than there are people making money in real estate investing. Okay, why? Why are they losing money? Because everybody, especially now, everybody saying, oh, man, I see it on social media, people making money because social media is out now, right? Yeah. So everyone want to hop on the wagon. It's like Warren Buffett said, when everybody jump, right? That's a bad, that's not good. That's when he jump off the train, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of people that want to do this, but they have no experience. And they come in and they actually mess up the market for a lot of seasonal investors. They're inexperienced. They don't know what it costs to do things. They don't understand the process of building property or rehabbing property. So they jump in and they pay in a lot more for the property than a seasonal investor would pay for it. And so they drive the price up and it costs builders and investors to now have a hard time making it work because a lot of inexperienced people who even got money come in and buy stuff for a lot more and then they're screwing it up. And then by the time they find out that, damn, man, I bought this property, I didn't realize I got to put a new water line. And that cost 500 grand. That's the thing people don't see every day because no one talks about it. That's why I have no problem on my social media sharing people some of my, my mistakes. I mean, bro, people think that, you know, I'm going to become a jeweler. One thing about jewelry is it's all about your inventory. You can't just sit there and like, you can borrow, you know, you could have, you know, what they call, um, um, it's like a consignment term, right? But like, you know, you, you have, you know, you're loaning jewelry, you know, and you're, you're sitting there and be like, yo, man, like, I ain't about to fucking be sitting on this shit in 30 days. If I can't sell it, boom, I got to figure right. this out. It's just like, yo, man, like, people don't get it. And they think, oh, you know, we could wear jewelry, we could do this, this, and this. Like, yo, bro, nothing, everything's for fucking sale, bro. You don't get attached to nothing. You don't give a fuck how many cool watches you have, whatever. That shit's got to go, bro. You know what I mean? Until you get to a level of where, you know, I mean, I still, as much shit as I talk, I think people don't realize how fucking humble I really am when I sit there and be like, yo, dog, like, you know, at times I want to tell somebody, like, okay, that, you know, I try to be nice, man. You know, because I can't, I tell the truth, motherfuckers get their feelings hurt. You know what I'm saying? Right. But yeah, I would say that's a bigger mistake, man. Again, it's just people paying too much for the property. That's number one I see. People paying too much for the property. And then they misestimate on what it costs to rehab it or to build it. And then they mistarget what they think is worth when it's done. Yeah. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. 
Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Synchronize your online and in-person sales. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash baller, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash baller right now. Shopify.com slash baller. For those of you who listen to Behind the Baller podcast and obviously follow my social media, you know how I get down with True Bill. It's a perfect app for budgeting and tracking your bills. But also, True Bill is the app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or you simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year using True Bill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, True Bill makes it incredibly simple to cut them loose. Just link your accounts and True Bill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your True Bill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. As I've told you before, I love True Bill. I use it every single day. With True Bill, you can put your savings on autopilot to save money without thinking about it. True Bill learns your habits and saves the right amount at the right time while helping you avoid overdraft fees. True Bill has over 2 million users and you should be one too. Get an effortless breakdown of your finances to see where your money is going and how to improve. Truebill will notify you of important events that need your attention so you're never caught off guard again. Sign up at Truebill.com slash baller. Go right now to Truebill.com slash baller. It could save you thousands of dollars a year like it does for me. Go to Truebill.com slash baller. Cost of living is rising and you're responsible for yourself and others. On that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health in an application. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. 
Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A+, by AM Best. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they've made Forbes Best Life Insurance 2021 list. Finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash baller today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash baller. Ladderlife.com slash baller. So like, let's say someone wants to get in the game. They've been saving, you know, someone who fuck with you. You know, you're like, all right, cool, whatever. And I know, look, you don't just do this shit. Like, this is what you do for a living. So if you are going to teach somebody, you know, you know, obviously you got to get paid for certain things. But it's someone, you know, like, you know, someone you fuck with. Um, you want to help them out, whatever. And, uh, you know, they're young, let's say late 20s. They've saved 100K cash. And let's say they own a little condo, you know, or a townhouse, two-bedroom place, whatever. So they're good. They got 100K. They got great credit. What would you suggest they do with that $100,000? Like, can they get in the real estate game and maybe leverage some rentals and stuff? Or what do you, you know, what would you tell someone to do? Yeah, I would say they, A, if they really like the condo, right, they can turn that into a rental and then take that hundred grand and go buy, level up to buy a nicer house for them to stay in, and they can turn that into a rental. That's the easiest, right? All of a sudden, now they own a, now they own two houses, a primary and all of a sudden an investment property. Okay, so that's that's the easiest. The next thing, if they want to stay there, they take the hundred grand. You know, hundred grand not going to be able to buy you much of the down payment, but what they can do is they can partner with somebody. Let's say they came to me and said, "Dad, I got a hundred grand. Let's say I do a, a flip." Uh, buy a house, I fix and flip it. Let's say it costs, you know, 200 grand down payment. He put up 50,000, 100 grand. I put up 100 grand and then I will do the work and he can learn from what I'm doing. And then I will give him a fair return for his money where he can make money off his 100 grand. But more importantly, he's learning a million dollar lesson so that later on he can actually do it himself. Right. And then he did do that a few times. And all of a sudden, right, he's making extra money, but now he learned how to do it. It's so, all Let's say, you know, a year later, he understands how to do the process. He understands how to find a good deal, how to evaluate a good deal, got a good team behind him, how to rehab. Now he can do it on, on his own. That's what I tell people. That's that thatch school, dog. Come on, baby. That's that F one school, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of my friends who um actually some old employees of mine, friends of mine I know that just kind of been traveling around here and there. And I'm like, you know, I don't mean to be a dick or nothing, right? Like, you know, but what are you doing now? Because, you know, like, you know, you were making maybe, you know, 60, 70K. You know, you travel off a lot. You know, I'm just wondering, you must be doing something cool. What, what's going on? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I found some places. I got a condo here and there. Boom. I'm doing Airbnbs and they're doing really good. And I was just curious. I always wanted to know, like, what's your thought on Airbnbs, right? Like, you know, renting a place out that you have, whatever, like, any thoughts? Yeah, man. You know, I get a lot of young people these days uh, doing a lot of Airbnb. And because, you know, it's another way of making money. The misperception that they call it passive income. It's not really passive income. It's a full-time motherfucking job. It's a hospitality business. Yeah. Period. 
It ain't a, you know, it ain't passive. Someone can say, but I got a team. Yeah, you got a team that actually cleaned the house. You got a team that helped, you know, turn, get a rental, but you're still running a business. To me, passive income is I own an apartment building and I got a property manager that just manage it and nobody's moving out. And they, I, they send me a check every single month. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's true passive income. So for me, I'm older, right? I'm 51 years old and I don't want to be in the hospitality business. And I know I can make more money doing that. But I don't, I don't want to deal with tenant, you know, rent to move in, moving out, move in, moving out. And, uh, and for me, I'd rather find me a good tenant, a good family, put them in and let it ride and it cover my mortgage and I make some extra passive income off that. I want the appreciation, bro, right? That's one of the biggest. I want the appreciation, which is the big gain because I own a lot, of the, a lot of the Airbnb guys. They don't even own their real estate, bro. They basically do... They go rent, a, they rent the house from somebody and then they turn that rental into an Airbnb. So they don't even own the real estate. What the okay, a lot of can them. you do that legally? Yeah, bro. Oh, man. Fuck Let's that, say bro. you own a condominium and you're trying to rent it. I come to you. I say, hey, man, Ben, let me, can I rent this for you? But do you mind if I actually turn this into an Airbnb and I'm going to pay you a little more than what you were going to rent it to me anyways? And the owner like, shit, okay, cool. Right? So a lot of them don't own it. Okay. They just do it for the cash flow business. Okay. But for me, I want the appreciation because to me, you look about how much real estate have gone up, man. Imagine you had two, three, four, or hundreds like me, how much I've made in the last decade. Okay. Uh, and then I want the write off. The write off is crazy. Right. And then, of course, the bonus is the cash flow. But for me, at my age, my time in life, I want to actually, you know, I want to relax and just collect my money. If I was younger, I might try Airbnb business. You know what I mean? But it's a seasonal kind of thing. So you got to be careful where you buy it, you know, to do Airbnb. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I was going to go into my next question and you just brought right into it, right? One of the things that you, man, this is the thing you emphasize more than anything. I'm like, God damn, that's like, you know, and, and you really do reach out to the people who are just like, you know, probably the middle class. You're not really, even though you're driving a, a Bentley and flying spur here and there, but for the most part, the target money and the things you're talking about it's definitely, you know, on a middle level of America, right? That's right. It is. And you emphasize so important of how passive income is so important. Positive cash flow is like the most important message used out of all your TikTok videos. Yeah, you talk it about it all the time, right? Now, me personally, when I hear you tell me, oh, my son's got their, you know, laundry business, you know, whatever, boom, and they're taking in $9,000 a year. I'm like, bro, I spent 9000 yesterday on fucking... In that hotel room, right? I'm just saying. And then you, and you'd be like, I got this, this, man. You know, I got this. Don't buy this. This is 25000 After you've already explained this whole thing, $25,000 right. a year in positive cash flow. I'm like, twenty five grand, bro, that's not even my mortgage payment. What the fuck is twenty five dollars right. But then again, it's not for me, and I get that. Right, right. So, you know, passive income is something I never thought about, even though obviously I have passive income, right? I have, you know, different things. I don't look at it like how you look at it. And it's not truly passive income. When I really figured out, oh, wait a second, that is really passive income. That's money you're getting when you're asleep. I'm out there doing collaborations, doing jobs here and there, boom. It takes, you know, I have a few things where I'm finally getting passive income from. Passive income is what's going to retire me. That's right? right. So why do you emphasize, because I'm just scratching the surface. You tell, tell the people why positive cash flow and passive income is so important. And you know what, you have... 100 properties, you know what I'm saying? So each one of them, if they're bringing you 10K right there, bro, you know what I'm saying? That's a shit ton of money each year. So, I mean, break down passive income. Yep. So when I was 21, my mentor says there is earned income 
and passive income. Earn income is when you trade your time to make money. So Airbnb is trading your time to make money. Selling real estate is trading your time to make money. Collaboration is trading your presence, your influence to make money. And then passive income is when you're sleeping, right? And so, of course, my mentor says, you want to do both, right? But at some point in your age, when you get older and older and you have kids, your your time will begin to get limited. Your motivation on going out there and collaborate with people and go work is going to actually decrease. But the key is that if you got a really good lifestyle, right, then you're not going to be able to live that lifestyle if you don't actually figure out other sources of income coming in, okay? And so my mentor said to me, and I was 21, he says, I want you to look out your window and you see that tree? I said, yeah, right? You see how that tree grow every day? Look how that tree, right? Look, a couple of years later, it's going to get bigger. You want to look at passive income like that, right? That you just plant the seed and you let it grow, right? And let it grow, let it grow. But in the meanwhile, you still go out there and do your selling real estate, collaborate with other people, show up to meet and greet, make money. You do that until every time you make money, plant another seed, right? Go make your living, right? Live your good life, right? And everything. Take some of that seed and then plant. Take some of the seed. So eventually, when you get to 40, 45, 50 years old, now you got plenty of seed that's been making you money over here. Then all of a sudden, if you say, oh, you know, today, like, you know, I'm 51 years old, right? My kid, Russell and Hudson, they're prime baseball right now. Russell have games sometime literally in the middle of the day. Like this Friday, he had a game about three o'clock. So for me, what happened is that I get now, now I'm up in eight, I get to have the choice, the freedom and the option. I got the choice to go, you know what? Today, I'm just going to not work today and it's not going to affect my lifestyle. I'm going to go take off and I'm going to go watch my kid play baseball, right? Or, oh, my kid's got a tournament in Arizona. We're going to go take the weekend off and we're going to spend a week in Arizona and we're going to hang out there. But that is called what I call freedom, option, and choice. When I went, I'm, I'm an investor with uh, Warren Buffett's company, right? Bertha Hathaway. And I remember sitting in one of his events a long time ago and Warren or Charlie Munger was saying, if you don't find a way to make money while you're asleep, you're going to have to work until you're old and die. So the problem is everybody know, right? You and I were up in age. At some point, we can't do the shit that we used to do. We can't show up to as many meetups we used to show up. We can't collaborate as much as we used to. Now, if we're going to do it, it's because we have a little time. We're still going to get paid. But the seed that we've been growing all those years, now it harvests. And those motherfucking seeds now are giant-ass timber trees, like fucking <laughs> redwood trees. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I tell people, don't stop earning your income. Just be smart and just take a little bit of money and just plant it. And we're not trying to replace the income now. We're just replacing it down the road. And the key is I tell people, everyday people, Everyday people, if they had, you know, they, you know, they had ten grand a month, man, a month they can live good after they retire. Me and you, you know what I mean? We need more than that, right? So for me, I'm keep buying real estate. I'm leveling up my real estate. I trade it for better one, and you know, I'm still making good money coming in the front door, right? And then I'm still growing my passive income. You know, by the time I'm sixty, which is ten years from now, you know, I should be somewhere around two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow. That's good, man. That's fucking good ass money. You know what I mean? No, three, that's, three, that's almost four million bucks doing nothing. And that's not that's not including the money I'm bringing in the front door. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. Day. No, for sure. Right? You know what's really sad, man, bro, is you broke that down so cold. And obviously you talk about this, I'm sure, in your class or whatever. But the thing that scares me the most is 
I didn't even think about saving ever in my life, right? I think I started saving like around 2001, 2002. That was also because I was fucking slinging weed and doing this, this, and this, boom. But still, I still saved it. I could have went, you know, of course, I shopped. I bought some Gucci shit here and there. But, you know, I was like, look, dog, I want to have some money. I want to have money here. I want to save money here, here, here. And, you know, there's times where I, I, I've hit a rainy day maybe once or twice since I made a million. And people that I talk to or see now, it's wild as fuck. They have all the freshest clothes. They have everything. They're flying private. That's a lot of money, man. Think about, yeah. you know, spending fucking even, you know, a hundred bands to go somewhere round trip on a fucking private flight. Like, yo, you'd be surprised with that money being, and seriously, I look at myself like, I'm not trying to be a hater, but the life expectancy of this person's career might be two, three years. That's long. Yeah. What do they do after that? You know, some people stop. Some people are making money. They're like, oh, you know, I'm getting 50 grand a show. I'm doing this, this, and this. All right, doc, that's great. Again, if you're just spending it, what are you going to do in 15 years? Because in 15 right. years, 15 years, you're going to barely be 35 years old, right? So what the fuck are you going to do? Because 35, you still got another fucking 40, 50 years to live. It's easy. Bro, if you, if you take a look at this, you and I know this. If we take a look at athlete, their prime time to make earned income is in their 20s. Right? Because once they get over into their mid-30s, right, they, they're not going to make that kind of money no more. So, but the same thing with you just to share with someone who live in that lifestyle at some point, physically, you just can't do as much as you could in your prime when you're making that prime money. So I always say, like, right now, I'm, I'm, I talk to a lot of the athletes now because a lot of them be DMing me. And I tell them, bro, you're making good money? Just take a little bit of money and park it. You ain't even going to miss it. Trust me, dog. I get it. Bro, I'm with one of the biggest sports agencies in the world. You obviously see these deals I got are like a pro NBA player. Pro, I'm getting deals like pro players get, you know, in their prime. And I'm fucking 50, you know what I'm saying? So like, this guy came in a month or two ago, got picked up by our agency. He was NBA star for many years. He doesn't play for the NBA anymore. He's doing other things. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to say his name. He made 71 million in his career. And his career was, you know, I mean, I think he played like maybe 10 years or so. Like he played a pretty short career. But, um, you know, 10 years, whatever. He made 70 million in his career. He's figuring out other things right now. And he just signed with the agency now so he can make money. You know, they're going to get him marketing deals and stuff. And my agent goes, hey, bro, he has like probably $2.5 million to his name. And I was like, what? Wow. And he's like, think, 70 mil at the yeah. very worst, yeah. just on agent, lawyers, tax, everything. Yep. He's like, no matter what, he took home 32 no matter what. No matter what. Okay. And then you break that down, you know, this much a year, this, this, boom, you know, how fast it goes. I'm like, yo, man, because you see, no matter what, each month I'm thinking about, you know, my numbers going up each month, even when I'm spending. Oh, should I spend 200 grand this month? All right, well, great, guess what? There better be 400 gave for me to spend the 200. Do you know? Right. So when I think about that, someone who's now retired from the game as a pro athlete, thank God he had, he's, he's famous so he can make more money, but bro, you got $2.5 million left out of that. Like, bro, if I made 70, and remember, Half of that's gone, right? Because of taxes, yeah, agents, whatever. Taxes. Yep. Do you know what's gonna happen? I got 250, 250 million now. You know what I'm saying? I think right. are you fucking crazy, bro? Like, yeah. Anyways, um, I appreciate you answering these questions and everything, right? I just was like thinking, now we're talking about different states and shit. Yep. That's real talk, bro. Let's just hypothetically say you had to leave tech, Seattle, okay? Yeah. Like for real, everything. Like, okay, and you were able to sell everything, meaning, or, or you know, actually the rental properties, you know, you have a management company watching those, fine. But what I mean for the most part is your residence at home, 
the kids go to school, everything. You had to relocate. Do you think you could do what you do in real estate in Florida or Texas or North Carolina? Like, would it matter where you were? Or you could just do it wherever you are, right? I can do it anywhere, bro. <laughs> I can do it anywhere. Because when you understand the Dude, concept of Vietnam, how to, motherfucker. Yeah, seriously, bro. <laughs> I mean, when you understand the concept, learn how to buy right, right? And then knowing what's the highest and best use on how to make the good amount of money in that city, that town, kaboom. You in? No, for real. Like, like people ask me all the time, like, could you be a jeweler in New York? You know, so much competition. I was like, motherfucker, I'd be a jeweler in yeah. in a jewelry store with other jewelers. It's fucking crazy, bro. Yeah. I just don't, yeah. you know, I'm not, that's not where I want to be right now. You know, I'm, you choose to be where you are and it is, it is what it is. Um, Thatch, what's your next car? What are you going to buy next, bro? Um, I actually got a, uh, I got an F8 Spider coming next month. Oh, nice. I like the F8s, man. Yep. Yep. And then I got the SF90 Spider coming here uh, at the beginning of next year. You got nothing coming between that. Oh, shit. My SF90 is coming soon, man. My, my Spider yeah. coming soon. My SF90 Spider is coming soon. Oh, shit. I got to see that one, bro. My F8 uh, Tributos is, it drives really good, bro. Right? Really smooth, really fast. It's just barely a little slower than SF90. You know what I'm saying? And people just don't know because it kind of got looked over. Uh, you know, because it wasn't like a car, like, um, you know, it went from the 360 to the F430 and then to the 458 and then to the, you know, the 488 and they made these things and like, you know, they, they promoted them. The F8 doesn't even get a special series. You know, this is the last of their cars. Everything after this now is going to be hybrid and stuff. So, you know, it's a trip, bro. Yeah. And I was just curious. I'm going to leave you with this thought, bro, that for your listener, just trip out. Okay. Because one of the questions everybody asked me, do you, do I think that we're going to have a recession with all this, you know, thing happening. I think it's going to be more stabilized than a recession like 2008 because we got a lot of money. We got real people making money out there, good jobs out there, you know, and there's a lot of people in 2008 that shouldn't have bought homes, bought homes. You know what I'm saying? I'll leave it like that, right? But that's why now you know that only 10, less than 10% of them are buying with, you know, zero down up to 10%. You know, but the bulk of them have money, 20% up to all cash. Uh, so uh, I think we're going to stabilize more than have a crazy recession. But in the big picture, I think I told you this before, in the big picture, in the United States, we are behind on uh, home building, new construction, right, to keep up with the demands. Right now, bro, every year it's been growing and growing. From last year until this year, they call it um, they call it the increase in number of U.S. household, right? More people buying to live in, right? Last year to this year, it went up to 130,000 new people buying houses. Okay, so the population is rising, you know, you know, fast. People buying, right? And the problem we don't have enough supply to keep up. So I'll give you something that's interesting to think about. Okay, in the last two decades. Right. If I went back all the way to like the last four decades, but I just go back the last from probably 19, 1970, 1970, all the way to the end of 2009, bro. Right. Home builder was building on average 26, 27 million homes a year. In the last decade from 2010 to 2020, 5.8 million, bro. But is it also because there's no space? Like, I mean, you can't just keep building houses up because there's no space. Right. Well, that's the key, right? I mean, that land is getting tighter. I agree. Like in area like LA, right? 
um, like you know, like Las Vegas. That's why so many people go into Arizona because a lot of the big builders go out there because there's yeah. more land. But what's causing a lot of this, man, is the supply change, right? Limiting our space. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's to show you as, you know, that's a $20 million gap and not enough homes. So in the big picture, right, real estate is always in big demand. So if you invest, if you buy in real estate, right, even you pay a little more. If, even if you buy a home today at 5%, who give a shit? 10 years from now, you look back, that shit look like pennies. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if, if you own real estate, I mean, you can imagine how much more it'd be worth, you know what I mean, 20 years from now. But the reason now, what they're doing now, I think you and I talked about this, how they're making it more affordable. If you look at LA, Seattle, where density is real tight, they are raising density by changing zoning to put four houses on one lot now. Yeah. In LA, you can put four houses on a 6,000 square foot lot. I mean, dog, look, bro. That's how they're making affordability happen. You see? I mean, bro, look, I'm in one of the most prominent neighborhoods in San Francisco. $15 million house, dog, on a fucking 4,020 square foot lot. Bro, $15 <laughs> million, bro. But you got to remember, yeah. it's five stories tall, you know, That's in right. the prime That's neighborhood. That's how they do Just it. Saying, my, my neighborhood right now, bro, my house is so small, dog. I'm on a fucking, you know, I'm on a quarter acre fucking, you know, tiny fucking lot, bro. Like, right. tiny lot. And, bro... This is a 6,000 square foot house, bro. You're not having an idea how fucking yeah. expensive this shit is, man. And I'm, you know, yeah. we're obviously going to upgrade. I'm just saying, like, it's, I had a lunch with my boss yesterday, my old boss, my one of my first bosses in the business. He bought a $70 million crib cash in like 1990, fuck, I want to say maybe 97, 98. And I think he paid like just under 10 for it. He just sold the house like a year ago, two ago. It was still a good time for him to sell. I mean, up now it'd be pretty crazy, but he got like 75 mil for it, right? He just moved into a um into a $22 million house. And he's even thinking about downsizing. All four of his kids are in college now. Yep. And we're talking about it. And he had three acres in Bel Air, bro. Mm, three wow. acres, dog. You know, and not talking about livable land. I'm talking about like the side. This was a flatland area. He's right. he's right next to the Playboy Mansion. Right. And I was he, I was like, what was up? But bro, he's like, Ben. I had a houseman, you know, someone who takes care of the gardeners, take care of the landscapers, take care of the security, everything. And I was like, okay. And he goes, Ben, it was driving my wife, Wendy, crazy. It was driving me crazy. When you have that much land, you start to get a little crazy. You know what I'm saying? You start tripping. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so he has an acre now. And even now the acre is starting to drive him crazy. Not me personally. Right. I owned a house on three quarters of an acre. You know, I, I don't mind, but yep. it was driving him crazy. And I get it. You know, you start to have to worry about, you know, upkeep and all the other shit so it's i don't know bro it's wild to even think about you know and trust me i thought i thought about moving you know like just to get more land in vegas and stuff right. but like even vegas now you yeah. know the party's already there bro it's been there so like yeah, you know people get there. it yep. you know yep yeah it's the closer you are to a metropolitan the smaller the lot's gonna be yeah eventually you know places like bel-air where you live it's gonna get more dense Right, they 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 always go to those areas last because those are people with a lot of money. They gotta boycott. No, 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 we don't want small land yet. You know what I mean? But everywhere else, they doing it. You know what I mean? And eventually, twenty years from now, you know, it's gonna be crazy. Man, someone's gonna buy a fucking fifty million dollar house in Bel Air with a five thousand foot lot. Bro, there's a house. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a listing, man. There's a house, not even one block away from the fifty million dollar crib, my crib in San Francisco. It just sold in December. Yeah. For thirty two mil. Yep. And motherfucker, that ain't even fucking not even on, on it was like maybe dog, I'm not bullshitting you, maybe thirteen, four thousand square foot lot. Yeah, see? Yeah. 
not even barely yeah. a third of an acre. It's crazy. Yeah. But that's man, I really do appreciate you taking the time out because I really wanted these people to understand the real look. Again, I've invested in companies. I invest here, and yes, there's money that comes there. But my most solid real estate investments have always been my condo in Beverly Hills, yeah. my other house in Pasadena. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And the places I've had that I've lived in, you know, it's just been, you know, I know once I get into the $10, $20 million mark, it could be a liability because think how many people are going to buy a $10, $20 million house. You know, they, maybe yep. they will you know, cool, but I know where my market is, you know, where people are going to yeah. do certain things. And I'm, you know, it's fine. Right. Look, there's guys out there who make way more money than me, getting $40 million a year contract in sports. They live in a $6 million house, bro. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You don't have to go crazy. That's right. So That's right. I appreciate your time again, Thatch. Always, All always right, so good to have you, man. All right, my brother. I appreciate it. And I'll see you soon, dog. All right, late. All right, Later. thanks, man. Yeah. Right. Hey, Miles, throw on some Lakey Lake, and we'll be right back with a little bit. And uh, actually, you know what? Shit, I'm on a boat, so we ain't going to come back. Yeah, man. I- I'll holler at y'all guys later. Later.